message. This church was committed to getting the gospel to here, there, and everywhere. They understood the truth of Psalm 67, that God wanted, quote, his way to be known on the earth and that his salvation would be among all the nations, among all the people groups. As David Bosch writes in his book, Transforming Mission, missions is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. Missions is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. God is a missionary God. In other words, God's plan for his gospel is global. And God's passion for the world is salvation among the nations. So let's zoom in here for the next few minutes and let's zoom in on the Antioch church. And as we do, my hope and my prayer is that we will leave here this morning challenged. We will leave here convicted to be a church that's getting the gospel everywhere. Number one, may we be a church centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a church centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Antioch church was a gospel-centered church. They have been founded by the gospel, and now they are being fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be wondering, what is the gospel? Let me give you a summary of it. It's also called the good news, for good reason. It's good news because the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come. It's the advent that we celebrate at Christmas. We look forward to his second coming. But in the first coming, Christ has come and he has absorbed God's wrath toward all sin by his death on the cross. And now he has imputed his righteousness to those who are repentant of their sin and to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ so that those people, those men and women all across our world are now seen as sons and daughters who are perfectly blameless and spotless in God's sight regardless of their background, regardless of their past, regardless of their ethnicity. We are one family in Christ because of the gospel. And the power of this very gospel had a profound impact on the Antioch church. Notice two things about this. The power of the gospel. The Antioch church was established by the gospel. You go back to Acts 11 and you see this. Where the gospel proclaimed after hearing it, after hearing the gospel proclaimed, it tells us in verse 21 that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That was the beginning. That was the origin of the Antioch church. They had a very impressive beginning here. And then the Antioch church grew dramatically under the leading and teaching of Barnabas and Saul. In fact, it was here in Antioch where these very disciples were first called, quote, Christians or little Christ. And although it was intended as a term of derision, it was a term of ridicule by those who had not yet believed in the gospel. Let me tell you, these disciples at Antioch, these Christ followers at Antioch, they wore it as a badge of honor to be called little Christ. We're followers of Christ. And we are not ashamed to go public with that. The Antioch church also showed their love. 
They showed their love to the Jerusalem church by sending them an offering for famine relief. And so that is the impact that the gospel had on this church because it's gospel-centered. And so it was first established by the gospel, but notice, second of all, the church here at Antioch was also united by the gospel. And we see this here in Acts 13, when Luke describes the diversity of the Antioch church. Notice what it says again in verse 1 of Acts 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and then he lists them. Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here's a list of five leaders who were prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. And folks, let me tell you, the relational unity in this church is a, it's a, a sight to behold. In fact, it's amazing and it's astonishing. Barnabas is a Jewish Levite from Cyprus. Simeon, who is called Niger, which is Latin for black skin, so more than likely he was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene is an African. Menaean is a Palestinian Greek Herodian who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is the same Herod who was part of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and yet now he is right here a part of this church. And finally, you have this Saul of Tarsus, a Hebraic Jew who grew up in Jerusalem. Now, that is quite a list of guys here. In fact, it's kind of a lot like MTV's The Real World, where you take people who will not possibly get along, stick them in a room or in a house together, and just show it on TV. These men would have been raised from birth to despise other men on this list, to feel superior to the men on this list, to position themselves as more intelligent, more valuable than other men on this list. But then the gospel showed up and blew all that to kingdom come. It tore down the walls of hostility. It, tore, it broke down the walls of cultural identification. And the gospel here, with these five men at least, being a, a testimony to it, it created a new family in Jesus Christ. In fact, let me just highlight two of the five of these guys here, since Luke highlights them in the beginning of Acts 13 for us. And that is Barnabas and Saul. The fact that Barnabas and Saul were ever friends who worked together to get the gospel everywhere, let me tell you folks, that is an amazing testimony to the power of the gospel. Barnabas. Here's a guy who's been radically changed by the power of the gospel. You say, how do you know? <laughs> Just go back into Acts a little bit. In fact, he, he's been so changed by the gospel. He is now so committed to the mission of God that he actually sold all of his property and gave the proceeds to the Jerusalem church at that time. Meanwhile, Saul is persecuting the Jerusalem church. The same church Barnabas is a part of. And we're told in Acts 8.3 that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so what you have here is Barnabas doing all he can to build the church of God. And you have Saul, on the other hand, doing all he can to destroy the church of God. 
Talk about polar opposites. But then the gospel comes in and radically changes Saul's life. And these two one-time enemies partner together for getting the gospel everywhere. In fact, even willing to die together for the sake of the gospel. Don't tell me what the gospel can't do. The gospel is the power unto salvation to those who believe. Has the gospel changed your life? Have you received it? Have you believed it? You see, what unites people like this together is the gospel. It's not our different backgrounds. It's not our different traditions. It's not our different cultures. And it's certainly not all of our different preferences. What unites us here together is that we are radically saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, we who were once dead in our sins and alienated from God have now been made alive and reconciled to God by the gospel. That's, that's what brings us together as a family. Oh, that we would be a church united by the gospel in our relationships with one another and that we would be a church centered on the gospel in our ministries as a church. Then on top of the relational harmony here in the Antioch church, we also see their devotion to the Lord and dependence on the Lord. Which brings us to number two, may we be a church captivated in the worship of God. Notice what these five leaders were doing when the Holy Spirit speaks in Acts 13 verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. Some Bible translations say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. In other words, it's while they were engaged in the worship of God that the Spirit of God spoke. And when we worship God, do you realize we are actually ministering to God? He the Creator, the God of this universe, He and He alone is our audience. And we're ascribing praise and honor and glory to Him in a way that actually ministers to Him. And I want you to see how this worship of God launched this church into the very mission of God. A people who are passionate about the glory of God will be passionate about getting the gospel to God everywhere. And so this mission in the world is born in the worship in the church. When we behold God's greatness in worship, that drives us to get his gospel everywhere so that others might behold his greatness in worship. In this way, missions then, it is the overflow of our worship of God. Why? Because you will not proclaim what you don't worship. You will not support what you don't cherish, what you don't value in your own heart. Where passion for God is weak, passion for His mission will be weak. 
And so let us be a church. Let us be Christ followers who are captivated, consumed, if you will, in the worship of our great God. The Antioch church was devoted to the Lord in worship, but they were also dependent on the Lord in prayer. In fact, what's interesting here is the Bible frequently connects fasting with times of intensified prayer. And here in Acts 13, it says they fasted twice. Now, what is fasting? Well, let me give you just a brief definition. We don't have time to explore this this spiritual discipline here in depth, but let me just give you this definition. Fasting is the, the setting aside of normal appetites or even activities in order to pursue things of greater spiritual importance. And fasting is almost always done for the purpose of facilitating intensified or greater prayer time in your life. The church at Antioch, they were facing an important point in their existence, and they were seeking some divine direction from the Lord. And folks, let me tell you, they got it. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. You could say they fasted because they needed God's direction more than they needed food at this time in their church history. Our own church has taken periods of time to fast and seek God's guidance and leading. Perhaps you as an individual have done that as well. Here's the point. Like the Antioch church, we may, be, may we be a church who is captivated in the worship of God. May we be a church devoted to the Lord in worship and dependent on the Lord in prayer. And when the Spirit speaks, number three, may we be a church who is controlled by the Spirit of God. Notice what the Spirit said in verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. One pastor and author notes that the central feature of this verse is the declared activity of the Spirit of God. What's going on here is the Spirit of God is moving in the church. And so right here in this one verse, we see the Spirit's work in leading in calling and in sending Barnabas and Saul as God's representatives out in the world. We also see the church's response to the Spirit's speaking here in verse 3. Look what it says. Then, having fasted again and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. That was their response. So, here's what I want us to see. I want you to see the synergy that's going on between the Spirit and the church. And let me tell you, the synergy that you see in these two verses, it's incredible. Notice this, first of all, the Spirit leads and the church follows. The Spirit leads and the church follows. The Spirit of God is sovereign here in initiating the work of missions. And in this case, the Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. You may be wondering, well, how did the Spirit speak to them? Was it an audible voice? It could have been. Bottom line is, we're not told. Who did the Spirit speak to? Well, again, we don't know because we're not told. Most likely, the Spirit spoke to the church, maybe through one of the prophets here. However the Spirit spoke to them, the point is this. The church followed. 
The church obeyed. And so we, we here, even now, we are not here to negotiate with the Spirit of God. We're not here to make compromises with the Spirit of God. The Spirit leads, and we want to be people and be a church full of people who simply follow whatever the Spirit of God says. The Spirit speaks, the church follows. Number two, the Spirit calls and the church confirms. What I love here, again, is the synergy that's going on between the Spirit and the church. The Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I called them. And so the church acknowledged that and basically said, Yes, we're going to separate them and confirm the Spirit's calling. And folks, here's the deal. The whole church is involved here. You get to the end of Acts chapter 14, and you see that Barnabas and Saul were commissioned by the whole church. And so the Spirit calls them out, and the church confirms, yes, that's what's happening here, and that's what we want in our own church. But we are so prone to individualism in our culture where we have this tendency for one person will say, well, the Spirit is leading me to do this, and no matter what anybody else says, I'm doing it. And while that tinge of boldness may be admired by some people, listen, that is not anywhere close to the New Testament pattern that we see here in Acts 13 and beyond. Nobody is intended to say, I'm going to do this regardless of the counsel of spiritual leaders in the church, regardless of the confirmation of the church. The reality is, when the Spirit calls you out, the Spirit is going to confirm that in the church, through the church, to encourage you to go out. Nobody is a renegade in this thing. In fact, with that, with that thought in mind, let me just say that it, maybe you're here this morning and you've been sensing or even now you're sensing that the Spirit is calling you out and you're starting to, to wrestle with that in your own heart. Then by all means, don't wrestle with that alone. You don't have to wrestle with that alone. That's what the church is here for. You have a community of brothers and sisters and spiritual leaders to help you wrestle with that and to make sense of what you feel like the Spirit is leading you to do and the Spirit's call on your life. And you have a church family, a church body to confirm the Spirit's calling in your life. And what's interesting as well to note here that the Spirit... Did you notice this? The Spirit did not specify where Barnabas and Saul were to go. Nor did the Spirit indicate what their ministry would be. The Spirit simply said, the work which I have called them. Now that brings us to a question. So how, how were they, that is Saul and Barnabas, or the church, to know what work that would be. Well, first of all, we know from Acts chapter 9, go back there to verses 15 and 16, God has already told Paul, in this case Saul, his name will be changed later here in Acts 13 to Paul, he already told Paul about his future ministry when he was saved. And God did that in a supernatural way that will never be done again like that. But second of all, and this is more pertinent to us, 
The ministry to which God called Barnabas and Saul, folks, listen to me, it is basically the same ministry which they had already been doing together right here in the Antioch church. Except now, the Spirit is calling them to do it in other places. Here's the lesson. God calls people for further ministry who are already active serving him in ministry. Which means God rarely calls people who are not serving in ministry and then entrusts them with greater ministry. And so if you sense God calling something in your life to go do this, the first step is to immediately evaluate, well, what am I doing now? Because that is part of the confirmation process that a church will take you through. Number three, what else is interesting to note here, is the Spirit sends and then the church supports. The Spirit sends and the church supports. This is what we see in verse 3, when it says, Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Or literally, this sent them away, it literally means the church let them go. The church released them. The Spirit called and sent them out, and the church confirmed that calling and let them go with their blessing and support. And that support involves identification, involves prayer, it even involves at times financial support. And what we have here is this beautiful, beautiful picture of this when it says that the church laid hands on them. And I love the picture of the church gathering around Paul and Barnabas and laying their hands on them and praying for them just before they sent them out on the mission. In fact, looking back on this, Luke adds this insight in Acts 14, verse 26, referring to this very thing of laying hands on them. Luke says, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And so this... This phrase, this idea of laid hands on them, here's a summary of what that is. It's an act of recognizing the Spirit's call in one's life. It's identifying with those being called, and it's commending them to the grace of God for the mission of God. In essence, the church is saying, hey, listen, as you go, we are going with you. We are with you. You are not alone. We identify with you. We support you. And we commend you now to the grace of God to fulfill the mission of God that the Spirit has called you to do. Our church is familiar with this act of laying on of hands. We did this just uh, last January. Some of you were here and you may remember we had Jordan and Nikki stand up here. And we, some of us, gathered around them, and we laid hands on them, and we prayed for them. In a sense, we commissioned them before they went back to the Philippines for their second term. We do this every year during our World Outreach Celebration on Sunday night during our Celebrate Unplugged. And as you know, we have anywhere from three to six missionary couples come in. And what we do, the primary emphasis on our Celebrate Unplugged is we, we meet down in our multi-purpose room and it is a time where we have communion together and we pray and we lay hands on our missionary couples. We gather around them in teams and we commend them to the grace of God. 
We recognize the Spirit's call on their life, and we are insane in that act of gathering around them. We identify with you. We are going with you, even though we don't go physically. And we're now commending you to the very grace of God to sustain you in your ministry. This last summer, we took time even to do that with our, our juniors who went to junior camp and with our, our high schoolers and middle schoolers who went to, to student life camp as well. And so our church is familiar with this. It's a great thing to be a part of. And, and so I would encourage you, as you think about making plans for your world outreach celebration, man, don't forget about being a part of our Celebrate Unplug because it is a special, special time that has its roots all the way back here in Acts 13. And so like the Antioch church, may we be a church that when the Spirit leads, we follow. When the Spirit calls, we confirm. And when the Spirit sends, we support. Which brings us right into number four. May we be a church committed to the mission of God. Pastor Chris is going to come, and we're going to tag team this message. You guys didn't know that. But we're going to tag team this, and he's going to talk about how everyone can be involved in the mission of God. Kind of scary, isn't it, having us both up here? But this is going to be short. Don't worry. Listen, if we're going to be a church that's committed to the mission of God, the mission of everyone getting the gospel to everywhere, then there are six roles that we need to put into practice, not only individually as Christ followers, but together as a local church. And as we put these six roles into practice, we're going to get the gospel here, here in Kansas City, there and everywhere to every people group around the world. Putting these six roles into practice is what this year's World Outreach Celebration is all about. And so we wanted you to not only be introduced to these, but this is really the response to this message. These are the roles that we see in the Church of Antioch. These are the roles that we want every one of us to participate here at Glenwood. And the first one, the first two of these, they're, they're in three, three pairs of two. The first pair is sending and going. The roles of sending and going. These two go together. They complement and they complete one another. We send and we go so everyone can get the gospel everywhere. We've all seen how this has worked out here in the church at Antioch. Well, that's what this sermon was about. Now we need to respond by saying, Lord, use me and use our church in the same way that you use the church at Antioch. The practice of sending, as we just saw, is supporting those who go. And the practice of going is not being afraid to cross cultural barriers to reach those who are far from God or who are literally living in places that are totally unreached. They've never heard of Christ. They've never seen a Christian. They've never heard the gospel. Now, one of the main reasons that we have a world outreach celebration every year is, so, is for the purpose of connecting senders with goers. A lot of people support missions in some churches and never ever meet a real live breathing missionary. Well, you get to do that because we want a connection between senders and goers. So let's participate. 
Let's get these dates set down and let's pray that a real heart-bonding connection. And it happens every year, but let's not take it for granted. Let's pray for it. Let's participate and let's see that happen. And not everyone's going to be a goer. So don't come and, and you know, don't, don't not come for fear that God will have you go. Okay? Uh, it's okay. Uh, only two out of five went in the church of Antioch. Okay? Pretty high numbers. But not everybody is a goer. You can be a sender. And you can come and learn better how to send those who go. But remember that every one of us is sent to go right here at home. Now the next two roles complement each other as well. Praying and giving. Praying and giving. They go together, they complement, they complete one another. We pray and we give so we can get the gospel here, there, and everywhere. The practice of praying is simply asking the Lord of the harvest to send more goers and provide more senders. That's what we need. We need more people to step up and go, but also for God to call more people to step up and support and send, like Pastor Bruce just preached about. The practice of giving is where we've put feet to our prayers. Lord, send them out. And when the Lord comes and says, okay, what are you going to give? That's where we step up and we really show where our treasure is, where our heart is, because our heart is where our treasure is. The church at Antioch gave the best they had. They gave their greatest leaders, their best people, Barnabas and Saul, but they also gave financially. They gave relationally. They gave financially. They gave in a total, mass, uh, total fashion. Now, now is the time. The response to this message is now's the time for you and I to offer ourselves up to the Lord. Every year at this time of year, I rededicate my daughter. I give her to the Lord. We gave her the moment she was born within minutes we dedicated to her Lord. And every year it's like, Lord, I'm not asking you to make her a missionary. I'm dedicating her and giving her and releasing her to your will for his life. But the only way you can do that as a parent for someone else is if you yourself have put yourself back on the altar. So this time of year is a great year for us to once again recommit and say, Lord, I give it all to you. Wherever you go, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm giving it all to you. The final two roles are welcoming and mobilizing. Welcoming and mobilizing. I recently learned these. I, I've been doing these, but, but they, they were a real mind opener, heart opener for me. These two go together. They complement. They complete one another. We welcome those who come to us, and we mobilize ourselves and others to go to people who will never darken our doors, who will never come here to hear the gospel. And perhaps this welcoming is a great reminder on this 15th anniversary of 9-11. You see, we are to welcome the immigrant, the refugee, the stranger, the ones who are not like us, the ones who are different from us. And right now in our country, those words are all politicized by the right and by the left. But the reality is we don't politicize and exploit those words. We see them as people that we are here to welcome in 
welcome in love so that they can hear the gospel. Now, the final role is the practice of mobilizing. Mobilizing is empowering others to be on mission and stay on mission. And we should all be mobilizing one another. As a church, our desire during our World Outreach Celebration is that we mobilize one another, we mobilize ourselves in the practice of sending and going, praying and giving, welcoming and mobilizing. And so our response time this morning is really comes down to this. This morning, you're sitting here by divine appointment. And every person here is either a mission field or a mobilizer for the mission. You're either a mission field this morning or a mobilizer for the mission. You're a mission field if you don't yet know Christ in a personal, relational way. May I ask you, if you died right now, and people have died in church, I'm just letting you know, it happens. If you die, I hope it doesn't, but if you died right now, do you know for sure, 100% certainty that you would go to heaven? And if you're not sure of that, I've got good news for you. Good news for good reason. The gospel of Jesus Christ can give you that certainty. But if you are sure this morning, then let me ask you a second question. What is your assurance based on? Is it based in any way on what you have done, your good works, or is it totally based on what Jesus has already done for you? You see, the only way you are truly saved and can be 100% sure that when you die, you will enter into God's presence is when you place your total trust, not on yourself, not on what you, you have done, not hoping that God grades on the curve, but that you place your total trust and abandonment in what Jesus has already done. Amen? And if you are a mission field this morning, then I ask you, cross the line from unbelief to belief. Cross the line from trusting in your own good works to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're here this morning and you've already done that, then you're no longer a mission field. You have been drafted and authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a mobilizer for world missions. That's what we're here to do. We're here to mobilize ourselves and to mobilize others to reach the world right here in Kansas City to welcome those that don't look like us, talk like us, smell like us. They, they're different from us. They make us feel uneasy. We, are, we feel awkward, but we bridge the gap and we welcome the unwelcomed. Why? Because Jesus Christ welcomed us. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads, and with your heads bowed as the praise team comes, I want to ask you again, are you a mission field this morning, or are you a mobilizer for missions? Our prayer is that if you do not know Jesus Christ, we understand we have been there. We have been there confused, guilt-ridden, unsure, un un unclear, we get that because we are no better. But Jesus can bring that clarity. So I pray that, that as the team will begin to sing in a moment, that you can just make the decision right now in your heart to cross that line. We'd love to help you. Talk to Pastor Bruce. Talk to myself. Talk to those in our church that are around you. 
But also, if, you're a mo- if you are a born-again Christian, 100% sure that when you die, you will go. His, your heart has been transformed. Your likes have been changed. Then surrender yourself this morning. Lord, I want to be mobilized, and I want to mobilize others. I surrender all that I am. I surrender my children, my spouse, my loneliness, my singleness, my confusion, my fears. I surrender it all to you. And Lord, in my weakness, use me, mobilize me, that I may mobilize others, that the gospel really will get from here to there to everywhere. Let's do business with God as the team sings.